Welcome to the She's All That video podcast, inspiring, entertaining conversations with women doing awesome shit, making change, and living life their way. Conversations that'll leave you thinking, damn, I'm glad I heard that. She's all that. While 2020 has taught us all more than we ever wanted to know about virology, pandemics, and people's ability to politicize just about anything, it also placed the issue of race more solidly in the foreground than it has been for half a century. For Janelle Benjamin, my guest today, the killing of George Floyd and the ensuing Black Lives Matter protests galvanized her to take her 15 years as a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional into her own hands to form her consultancy, All Things Equitable, to move the needle on this deep and chronic problem and help companies and organizations fast-track their process in this journey of positive transformation. Settle in for this episode to hear how Janelle's addressing all this through her business and some of the exciting international projects that she's involved with driving change. She's all that. So today, as I said, I'm here with Janelle Benjamin, and I'm so pleased you could be with, here with me today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on September. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited about our conversation today. Um, we only met, and that was actually online, through LinkedIn. It was just even a couple months ago, what, early September, late August, you were just getting your new business up and going, and your business is all things equitable. That's right. right? September. And I remember when you reached out, I just thought how fitting that you we were chatting in the month of September and that was that you had such a lovely name. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, as, as I recall, there was, um, I think what kind of brought us together, we ended up in the same conversation on LinkedIn. And um, one of our co LinkedIn members had written something about um, the need for diversity and equity in the workplace. And there was a 100 of people got on that thread. And surprisingly, some of them were quite resistant to the whole idea. I mean, Huh? And one of the people was actually an HR professional. And her yeah. comment was, oh, my God, are we still talking about this? It's 2020. And how shocking is that? My comment was, um, yeah, we have to keep talking about it until it's no longer an issue. And I think that's where we kind of ended up getting connected. And, and I thought, I need to have this woman on my podcast because you're doing oh. some really amazing stuff. But before we get into all that, um, just the whole issue of diversity. So what is the impact of a workplace that does not have the diversity and the equity that it should? So many impacts, September. I think a lot of decision-making is is poor because organizations don't have diverse perspectives at the table, right? Diversity of thought, as we know, um, the contributions for having different perspectives there can be uh, enormous to the bottom line. But on top of that, it's it's really, really difficult for people who are uh, within those workplaces if they don't see themselves reflected um, in the greater population, right? So where you have very low numbers of a particular um, historically marginalized group, whether that be LGBTQ or people with disabilities or racialized people, it uh, it really has impacts to your self-esteem, to your morale, to your you know your loyalty to the company, your thought processes around whether you can advance, your mental health. Um, so uh, there's so many, there's so many. Yes. And, and, uh, really not inconsequential. They're one of the first things you said impacts to the bottom line. That's huge. It's shown that companies are more productive when they've got a better diversity, better equity happening in their workplace, but also the whole thing of representation, that is a thing. And for women as well, if you walk into a workplace and it's, you know, you're one of very few women, it's hard to really feel like I belong here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really, really difficult for people to to feel like they fit, like they belong, um, which is such a huge conversation now in the diversity, equity and inclusion space. It's like, 
do I actually belong here? Will my contributions be uh, respected and valued? Um, and you're right, if people don't see themselves reflected or, or they're not represented, uh, they're less likely to want to remain. They're less likely to want to give their, their fullest um, and their best. Exactly. Which is what organizations want, right? Like, so it's actually counterintuitive to or, organizational wellness if it is that they're not um, fully engaging their workforce. Exactly, exactly. I was thinking that very thing. I mean, some people might think it's a trivial matter to say, oh, oh, you're not feeling really good. But if you want the best work out of your people and the most productivity and they're bringing their creativity and their energy to your company, and who doesn't want that? That's what you're paying them for. Yeah. They've got to feel good in the space. Absolutely. They got to be happy, happy to come to work. We spend so much of our time there. It's, it's where we spend the bulk of our day. We leave our families for most of our day, uh, we just, you know, shower, eat and sleep at home, but we're spending so much time with our coworkers. So, so we should be happy in those environments mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for us. But then wider ramifications, unhappy workers, if you're feeling disrespected, if you're feeling stymied and frustrated and just being ground down day to day in work, you're going to mm-hmm. take that home with you. And that Absolutely. then impacts your family and your friends and your relationships. And just so it's, it just ripples out into society. Absolutely. So you didn't start out in this. How, where, where did you start out your career? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't start out as a consultant, but I've been in the DEI space, diversity, equity, inclusion space for a very, very long time. So but you've got a background in law, have you not? I do. I do. But even before that, like I kind of see my journey as kind of being part of who I am from like inception, mm-hmm. um, you know, having my own experiences of discrimination and harassment and marginalization, even in youth, as a teenager, and then, you know, kind of leading myself to an undergraduate degree, even in sociology, um, and then going into to law, of course, and policy, um, taking courses in human rights. So even before becoming a consultant, um, you know, looking at the issues of, of the, the marginalized in the community has always been part of who I am. It's part of my volunteerism um, on boards, uh, on certain commissions, and it's been a, a common thread through my, my employment. So, you know, my start, I guess, would have been at, right after law school working at the Ontario Human Rights Commission. And from there, you know, working at the Office of the Fairness Commissioner and constantly working in places where um, I'm investigating issues of harassment and discrimination. I'm dealing with issues of workplace equity on one policy or program initiative or another, developing programs on behalf of, of certain communities, um, administering grants and all types of things through nonprofits and then advising boards um, and different stakeholders, like the regulatory bodies uh, for different uh, health or non-health regulated professions on how to actually include people, how to have inclusive policies, how to review their practices to ensure um, equitable treatment. So it's it's been a common thread um, throughout most of my life, just really, even my personal life, right? Advocating for people um, and, and for myself. Uh, where inequity has taken place in my own life. So DEI, as it's called, you know, if we look on the LinkedIn, people are DEI, professionals, diversity, equity, equity and uh, inclusion. Yes. That, that is a new-ish profession. I mean, obviously the need's been there for millennia, but it's a new-ish profession. Over the course of your career, how did you see it shaping up and solidifying? And when do you think it really got traction? Uh, honestly, I never saw myself just going off on my own and becoming a consultant. It was never a dream of mine, right? It's not a dream of, I don't think anybody's, unless it is that you have that entrepreneurial drive, right? You, you just want to work for yourself. But that hasn't been part of my story. Um, for me, um, you know, I was socialized, like the majority of us, to 
go to school and get a job, right? So um, even through the pandemic, as I was uh, unemployed, I was actively seeing employment and I still continue to throw my hat in the ring here or there at the same time where, where I see great opportunities and where I feel like I can really um, lend my skills. Um, so what was know, that I, moment? What was that moment that made you I, think? I'm coming to this because of my, again, my, my personal experiences in uh, workplaces that have led me to, to say, okay, I have to, number one, I think as women, it's really important that we, we not have all of our um, peas in one pod, so to speak. Um, I'm Tell seeing, me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, seeing the value in um, individuals, definitely women in, in particular, having um, multiple streams of income. And so if I do go back in-house, which I'm not totally opposed to, I think I would never want to lose my consulting gig on the side because it's, it's an additional stream of income for me, which I think is so critical. I mean, we can see through the pandemic that if you don't have uh, an additional stream of income and you do get laid off, the impact to you can be enormous, right? Yes. And so I think it's it's really critical as women, and, and I've const- I've been the the breadwinner for my family for you know at least the last eight eight years. Um, and not it, inconsequentially, as you said, important for women in this pandemic, really- sixty almost six almost two thirds of the people that have lost their income because of the pandemic have been women. So this has really hit women. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we also know that even prior to this, right, Black women in particular have been leaving the workplace in droves, right? We are the number one cohort for entrepreneurship precisely because of these these workplace experiences that we've had. And, and I'm part of that, right? I've had these experiences that have told me uh, in not so many terms mm-hmm. and sometimes very directly that I don't belong, right? And uh, if it is that that's that's the case, then, it, then I have to find a way to, to sustain myself, to sustain and support my family. And I've got skills. I've, I'm, I've got qualifications. I've got a perspective. I've got something to contribute. So why, why not? Right. So was it a scary jump when your brain finally came across that idea of I'm going out on my own, I'm going to create a consultancy. Cause I have to <laughs> say, I've never seen a, an individual consultant. I think it's a brilliant idea. A, a Honestly, consultant in DEI. It, it wasn't scary. Honestly, I think Post George Floyd, and then for me, Amy Cooper, um, where you know she was the the white woman in the park in Central Park in the U.S., you know who <sighs> called the police <sighs> uh, on the black male bird watcher. You know that for me kind of just solidified, like all guns blazing. I'm going to do this. There's no stopping me. You know I'm sick of I'm sick of working in places where invariably somebody, someone or another, feels that me as a black woman, I just don't belong there, right? It's the exact same thing that happened in that park that happens in workplaces that tells me that I don't fit, that tells me that I don't belong and privilege and power is used to, to have me removed. And, and I, I, that experience for me is like enough. Um, I'm going to do this. Um, I, I, you know, I was feverishly like working towards this because it's like, I've got a, a, something to say. I've got something to contribute to this movement for social justice. I've worked in in different sectors uh, in diversity, equity, and inclusion for such a long time, and I have a lot to contribute in terms of advising organizations on how to how to treat people better, mm-hmm. so they don't have the experiences that I have, right? Um, and as we said before, and it all it's not just for that individual. I mean, that's important, but it ripples out and has impacts on everything, the company and beyond. 
Absolutely. So to date, as, as I understand it, this diversity, equity, and inclusion has been handled, if initiatives are taken at all, by HR departments, by most organizations. Most organizations, yeah. If they've got an in-house HR department, they typically will have, you know, if they're large enough, they'll have some sort of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion piece embedded in there, whether it's through employee resource groups or through HR directly. Um, at a minimum, there's certainly training in harassment prevention and uh, workplace violence. Most companies will have that policy. Now, um, it, with, with respect to how we look at an HR department, I um, surprisingly later in my life came to the understanding, actually somebody had to break it down for me. It's like, HR departments are not there for you. They're there to cover the company's ass, make mm-hmm. no mistake. Mm-hmm. So the, these, this one department that's there to make sure everything stays smooth and nice for the company is who's leading this charge, this initiative to break with the company's culture of you know, forever. Is that the yeah. best way for, for DEI to actually be implemented in an organization? Personally, I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, the organizations at this time that are hiring diversity, equity, and inclusion consultants or in-house chief diversity officers, where they have that individual reporting directly to human resources, I view it as problematic. Um, where the human resources reports to the to this individual, I see that as positive and progressive, right? The, the, the better organizations are setting it up in such a way that human resources is also accountable uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and ensures that they embed it in everything that they're doing. So, um, you know, don't get me wrong. You can have um, a great leader through human resources with the right mindset to do this work. Um, And if they do, it can probably be executed perfectly, right? Um, But again, I think where there's problems within human resources, it's really not uh, in the best interest of the organization to have the human resources leader leading, leading the charge. Well, it occurs to me that if an organization hasn't really got this in place yet, there's probably a reason. If they already were really good at leading an initiative like this, it would have happened. So maybe well, we should be looking at it. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And there's a variety of reasons organizations don't have, you know, human resources set up properly, right? There, it could just be for financial reasons or just know-how, um, certain other policy constraints or just, you know, they followed a template of what an organization, how to set up an organization, and they've just uh, done it like organization X or Y over there. So, um, you know, there's a lot of fundamental flaws, but I don't fault the organizations that I work with um, if they're learning and they're they're figuring it out and they're saying, oh, you know, we made a, an error and they care about social justice and, and having that positive impact and they want to they correct things, right? Like there's a lot of organizations on this corporate social responsibility journey and um, they do want to to do the right thing. And I think a lot of them are learning what that looks like. I would think having someone like you come in and work with them as a consultant would fast track that journey. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, I know that if they hire someone with my skill sets that could work hand in hand, either with their human resources professionals or other senior leaders within the corporations, they'll definitely be on the fast track. I mean, there's things that I can do um, that I'm sure that individuals within their organizations can't do in terms of you know, developing the strat plans, implementation, reviewing of the policies and the, and the programs that they have already, the, the executive coaching, right? 
I'm coming from the outside. So it's a lot easier for me to be objective yeah. and impartial and neutral and, and give that advice without fear of reprisal, rejection, and all of that that comes with, you know, having somebody that, that works there, you know, kind of just towing the line and, and doing and saying the right things to advance their own careers, right? Yeah, so exactly. A little bit of um, an issue of uh, a lack of neutrality when it comes to having these recommendations made from somebody within the organization. Yeah, because the, uh, that person in the organization has imperatives for their own life and career kind Absolutely. of vying with those of the, the DEI initiative. So you're bringing this fresh perspective, but it occurs to me also, you've seen how other organizations have implemented it. So you're bringing in not only your fresh perspective on them, you're bringing in solutions that you've seen work elsewhere that you can meld together in whatever fashion to possibly put in front of them. Absolutely. I've worked with a lot of organizations in a lot of sectors, organizations of different sizes. Um, and so I'm definitely, and I'm, I'm reading and I'm educating myself all the time, right? So I know the best practices. So why not use somebody that has that, that skill set and that knowledge base to advise you and inform you um, and save a lot of time and money and energy and effort um, and, and so they don't get it wrong, right? So many organizations yeah. are doing it in-house and they're getting it wrong and then they're having to oops, like hire somebody after the fact to come back in and fix the issues, right? And how much damage did the oops actually have on the organization? It's a lot easier to avoid the oops and work with somebody external just as a great check and balance to make sure that the people in-house are doing it the right way. And if nothing else, if you're looking at it as an organization, just from an economic point of view, having a consultant in can be very uh, a really good investment because you're not paying for a full-time employee. You're paying for a one sharp, effective hit when this consultant comes in, gets you, and then when you need her again, you bring her back in. So there's so many reasons why hiring somebody like you would actually be really good for their bottom line on top of their workplace. So what does it look like for if, if a company saw somebody like you or you in particular and said, yeah, okay, how, how, how does it work? How do you work with your clients? What does that look like? So it looks different depending on the structure of the organization and the setup. Um, typically, you know, we have some sort of a discovery meeting. Um, now, is that in times of pandemic, is that via Zoom or do you still go to their locations? Most of it's been taking place via Zoom. I haven't mm-hmm. found too many organizations at this time that, you know, that are open. You know, if they're, if they're the, the better organizations that, that really want to work with me and, and the better ones do. Um, then those are the offices that are closed, right? Um, and that their employees are home and they're, they, they care about their employees, they're putting them first and most of them are, are not um, working on site. Um, there are occasional organizations that definitely do need to open for various reasons. So I don't mean to disparage them, but um, I do uh, find that a lot of the meetings are taking place via Zoom and I'm, I'm working with them, uh, first of all, through a needs assessment. Like you don't work with anybody without assessing the, their particular needs um, learning something about their organization um, in order to to facilitate and to help them and coach them through whatever it is that, that they need. So you tailor um, each package for the needs of the corporation, for the makeup of the corporation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every organization is structured differently. Some of them are larger, some of them are small, some have multi-departments, um, some have thousands of people, some don't, some are very, very small. Um, and so it really depends on, of course, their budget, their goals. Um, what the structure looks like. And then, you know, I'll, I'll take all of that into consideration as I do like surveys with 
with people. And then, of course, it, it really varies based on the cultural competence of those people within the organization, right? Some organizations are really progressive. They know, um, and the people that work there um, have the cultural competence already, now, right? what They're is cultural competence? So cultural competence, oh gosh, how do I put this into words? It is a spectrum. And mm-hmm. I view it as a, a spectrum with no end. Um, and it, it really means those, the, the, it's an assessment of the individual, right? It's, it's looking at uh, individual people within an organization to determine how aware are they about issues of, of historically marginalized communities, right? How familiar are they with issues of equity uh, and, and the needs for women, the needs for LGBTQ plus communities, the needs for um, the Latinx community, certain other racialized populations, Black people, you name it. If, if they are an organization that is aware and progressive and they don't need the full scope of you know, DEI consultancy, then I can work with them as well. But in some organizations, the leaders are not as culturally competent and that's okay. Like, you know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, Janelle, like some of us here, we really get it, but some some don't get it at all. Some don't see the value. Um, some you're going to really have to handhold. They don't understand white privilege. They don't understand white supremacy. They don't understand what all this noise is all about in the community, right? How do you um, deal with that? <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> where do you even start? Well, you start by taking them where they are, right? Every, recognizing that everybody is not going to be um, at the same spot in terms of cultural competence. And you, you, you do the coaching, you do the training, you do the educating um, to get them to a place where they can see the value um, in these initiatives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, once they see the value, then you can take them further, right? But it's, it's first of all, like getting the light bulb to turn on for some people that not everything is equal in society, that, you know, this isn't just a whole bunch of noise and that these issues are not going to just, you know, fade into obscurity, right? George, I think George Floyd is just really a reckoning for, for the world. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away quietly. Um, organizations, leaders, they definitely need to get on side and, and do something to benefit the people that uh, they have within their walls. Okay. I have a question. This might be a, a tricky question. It's just kind sure. of occurred to me. I mean, having worked in non-diverse workforces myself as a former mechanical engineer, mm-hmm. um, the people that, uh, the ones that I've seen that when it comes to, okay, we're going to have some diversity training, or we're going to talk about, you know, we have these sexual harassment training, they're like, uh, eye rolling and sighing and yeah. like this kind of condescending patronizing, well, I got here we go again. How do you get it across to them that this is, this is actually a good thing for you as much as you feel like you're losing ground and your, your, your position, your privilege, I mean, really, frankly, privilege is being curtailed. Yeah. I, I How do you deal with that? I don't, I don't advocate for just going in and delivering training, right? I, I don't, I don't like that approach at all because. No. You have, and it's usually the worst training because if yeah. a company needs it that bad, then they're usually buying some really crappy prepackaged online learning thing. That's like a total waste of time. Yeah, I do like to find out where people are, what training have they had previously, and then address whatever the gaps are. So once you can figure out what the gaps are, then you can provide something that's a little bit more meaningful. And then again, it it really does come down to, okay, what's the cultural competence of the people that are going to be in the room listening and are they on site? And so 
I typically will work with uh, communications teams, whether they're internal or I bring my own um, Mm -hmm. to develop strategies in in, in order to get the people in the workforce to be part and parcel of this movement for change, right? Oh, no that's DE, brilliant. No <laughs> DEI consultant is going to come in and just label magic wand and make it perfect, right? It has to be rolled out in such a way that um, their stakeholders all understand that this is, is happening and, and taking place, the larger public, right? Whatever the public perceptions of the organization, they see the change, they see the movement. Yeah, and they the understand staff, why and, they, and it strikes why, a chord with them, yeah. Yeah, the staff get it. Um, it has to be embedded truly into everything that they're doing in terms of their operations in order for everyone to, to either be on side or realize, you know what, I'm not, I'm not aligned with the values of this place. I got to get out of here. And that, and that's okay. Like organizations have to be prepared to know that they're going to lose some people either voluntarily or involuntarily. And if the people that you're seeing that are the most resistant to change and the most hesitant over a certain length of time, and their values are not aligned with yours. It's okay to let them go. It's okay if they, if they move on. Um, that's just life, right? And it's it's about finding uh, people that, that can work with you and for you that support where it is that you want to take your organization. So that communications piece, as you said, you, you work with a communications team. Mm-hmm. Is that individualized, customized for each organization or do you kind of Absolutely. have a template? Absolutely, right? Because every organization is going to want to communicate a different vision or mission or different values for themselves, right? They're you know, some are going to say um, social justice and some are going to say anti-Black racism. Some are going to say, you know, um, patriarchy and white privilege and white supremacy. And others are going to stay away from those words. Some are going to be more comfortable to say equality and yeah. others are going to be more comfortable to say equity. And that's okay, right? Like you have to take the organizations where they are, um, communicate their vision and nudge them along, as I said, that that continuum in terms of cultural competency. So you you're waking them up slowly along this journey, right? If they're, they're today, they might be saying equality and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then tomorrow they might be saying anti-black racism and oppression, and you know, and they're ready for those those harder sounding terms. Harder sounding, but refreshingly uh, authentic and genuine. It's like well, yeah, it's kind of I mean, sugarcoating it with all kinds of words. It's like, what, what are you even really talking about? Why are we alluding to this it's like anti-Black racism? Yeah, but depending on the industry, right? And, yes. and what they need to communicate to their stakeholders. Their stakeholders, if they start using that language all of a sudden, their stakeholders are going to be like, what the heck is this? They might know that they want to get there in 10 years. Yeah. But 10 they need years? Plan. Well, they need a plan to get them there. Like if they're, if they haven't done anything, they haven't even had internal human resources, they haven't had a diversity inclusion strategic plan ever, their organization is homogenous, they're going to need a lot of time to change. And 10 years is, is hardly um, a long time. Like it's a reasonable amount of time to for an organization to truly overhaul its processes and practices. And I'm happy to work with them that long if that's what it takes, right? Like there's we can develop a plan today that takes you through the next year, the next three, the next five, the next 10 to an organization that you, you know, what do you want to look like? What do you want to sound like? What do you want to, what do you want people to know about your organization? And, and how do we get you there? Even if it is, you don't look anything like that today. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask you like, how long does this take? So as you said, it depends on the organization where they are now. It could take a decade. Well, as you say, that's a drop in the bucket in, yeah. in terms of organizational time. Okay. So 
varying amounts of time. When you're, say if it was a two-year or a five-year or a 10-year thing, is that like you are on the payroll, you are, they're paying for you full-time, or can you kind of set them up and you're in and out of their organization? How does that work? I mean, in terms of payment structures, there's different options, right? If they want a retainer, I'm happy to be on one. They can, you know, we can develop a reasonable amount and I can, I can give them the consultation advice on a monthly basis. It can be, you know, we develop something robust and extensive for the first, you know, six months year and then I can scale back and I can have a check-in at you know the, the next you know six month mark and then six months after that and then you know three years down the road and five years down the road um we could revise the plan right we can does it still reflect your mission vision vision and values mm. um it really just it really just depends so I, I'm putting myself in the shoes of that person who's who's working with you they are that point person or part of the point team in the organization in between those visits and check-ins with you, they're probably going to have moments when it's like, I'm losing the plot on this. Can they just then get in touch with you and get on a call with you and you're there as their advisor? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Actually, it's my preferred method of working. Like I don't yeah. want to, I don't like working with organizations and then just dropping them and leaving them high and dry. I do like follow-ups. I'm yeah. The nurturing and support on that, re- on that journey for them. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I'm whole just a relationship builder by nature. So it's just, it's just part of who I am to care and to, mm-hmm. to know that people are doing well and that, you know, things are going well and that the, the plans that we made, are they working? Are they not working? And and if they aren't, let's, let's talk about that. Let's revisit it. Let's re, re, revise and reevaluate. That is just so exciting to know that there are companies actually, and organizations actually making an effort in this area. Yeah, you, for the most part, what's the biggest impetus? What What is it that really, I mean, as you said, this year we've had some events, George Floyd and Amy Cooper and so many others, that's really brought it to the fore and to the front of everyone's uh, perception of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, for an organization, what is the event that nudges them into, okay, this now has become crucial? Is that like a government, government imperative or is it, um, where's... Where does the change usually stem from? It honestly, it cha- it depends on the organization. From some, there's like a groundswell within the organization from the staff. Sometimes it's nice. outside funders or partners, or you know. So what somebody- what would that look like? The outside partners or funders are going, yeah, get your act together. I pref- we're more comfortable if you're. Yeah, I mean, if if an outside funder is saying, you know, we're going to take our funding elsewhere if you don't get on side, or what's your position on this? Um, and they don't have a position on this, um, then they might be they might be in trouble. So um, it really I'm, I'm seeing a mixed bag. I'm seeing a lot of it happening from inside organizations right now, just because of the movement um, and post George Floyd. It's just it's really reinvigorated employees from within to go to their senior leadership and say, you know, what's going on in, in our workplace for diversity, equity, inclusion. Sometimes it's coming from the top down, right? Sometimes it is the the people in the C-suite, the board of directors, or you name it, who are saying, okay, we need to do something. We need to demonstrate our commitment. We need to demonstrate our support um, at this time. So uh, there could be political pressure. There could be stories in the media. We know Twitter is so um, impactful. So sometimes there's just tweets, right? You know, if there's some negative tweets out there and they catch fire, um, it could really damage the reputation of an organization and they might have to do something drastic to get on side so for them just find yourself a janelle benjamin and all things equitable and, and get her in there and get you started on that road 
I had an, I had another question in my mind as we were talking, and it was like for for an organization who's just starting to think about this, do you offer any, or is it even feasible to offer any kind of say, um, like a group workshop for HR specialists who want to kind of understand what it would all look like? Just like, do do you offer anything like that? Yeah. So there, there's a whole host of trainings and workshops that I can offer. I'm happy to come into organizations and work with human resources to do a whole host of trainings uh, internally. So, and workshops, it can be anything from uh, workplace violence and harassment training, occupational health and safety training, um, anti-discrimination training, anti-oppression, anti-harassment, uh, anti-black racism training. Yeah. Um, there's a whole host of them listed on my website at uh, allthingsequitable.ca um, that I can come in and, and work with them to deliver. Is it at all generalizable, like for just your your appetizer, just getting your your feet wet? If HR people from different organizations came in and and did a generalized workshop with you, or is it just better to have it customized from the get go? No, honestly, it, I can run something in which um, different leaders could come together, and I'm actually thinking of doing something like that in the new year. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I was sitting here thinking she should do that. So you're alluding to something that it's already kind of I'm thinking about, which is to offer. Um, different workshops to um, a variety of of leaders. And sometimes it happens at a conference, right? You go and speak at a conference and then a bunch of leaders can hear your your guidance all at once. But yeah, I'm planning to offer some workshops in the new year that would allow different organizational leaders to kind of learn simultaneously and, and at their own pace. Yeah. And even just kind of wrap their head around like, what what could this look like for our organization? What it would entail for us organizationally? I think yeah. it'd be a good thing to move people just a little bit closer to. And part of a few this. initiatives right now to deliver uh, different trainings and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Can't talk about all of them, but one okay. of them, one of them I can talk about a little bit, which would be to uh, we're going to be offering some diversity, inclusion, and workplace violence and harassment prevention training, um, and hopefully roll it across out across Canada to um, the construction sector. So I'm partnering partnering with. Wow. Um, some other consultants to to deliver that, and uh, that is an, that is an industry ripe for this this kind of thing. <laughs> Be hearing more about that soon enough. Yeah, well, that's exciting. So you're working, yeah, you're collaborating. We're, we're collaborating, and then we'll probably develop something um, that allows us to to go deeper with a particular organization. So there'll be modules at first, and then there'll, there'll be an opportunity for us if we need to go in house um, to deliver some workshops and some customized. Um, training around exactly what what it is that that it looks like, then that then we'll do that. So, yeah. So, what else do you have? I know I had um, <laughs> I, I saw a list of things that you've got on actually not on the back burner, like coming on for this coming year, hopefully. Yeah. There's so. Yeah. What else can you tell me about? I mean, there's some some panels that I'm going to be part of. One really really exciting one is happening International Women's Day. <gasps> what? Um, I don't yeah. even think that was on the list. Tell me, tell me. I love International Women's Day. So I'm, I'll am i be working with um, AIDS of Durham Region, AIDS Committee of Durham Region, to uh, facilitate a discussion on massage noir. And I now, what is be, that? <laughs> massage noir is a concept within the Black community, and it relates to the relations between Black men and women and some of the sexism that exists um, interracially, if that's a word, interracial. It's not interracial. Interracial is when intra, intra, intra-racial. <laughs> that's exactly it. Thank you. Interracially. 
Um, I'm also part of um, a book that's coming out. Um, so I've what is a, this book about? Oh, there's this book called Black Black Sostion. I hope I'm saying that right. <gasps> Are you in that book? I am. I just I am. heard about that the other day. I'm so excited about that. That's Teresa Robinson. Teresa Robinson, and I've got this little bit part um, along with sixty plus other women um, speaking to. Karen's those white women just like Amy. I love the title. Tell me the entire title. It's Black Zostian and Black Zostian. Um something about the Karen's. Something about the Karen's. They crack me up. Karen's in the workplace, right? Um I wish I could tell you the full title, but it's, we'll put we'll put that as coming and keep an eye out because you're going to start this in the notes for both the video on YouTube and in the audio for the, awesome. the podcast. Because that's so exciting. I didn't know you were going to be it, a it, chapter it. in that. Yes, and then I'm going to be co-authoring a chapter in another book. Yeah, <laughs> um, about tell, tell. the social, um, the social, in, social services sector, and um, what can I say about that? Um, it's with Marianne Kerr of the Medalist Group, and um, she's writing this book that is all about the turnover that's taking taking place in the social profit sector. The turnover, turnover. Oh, okay. Okay. Turnover. Yeah. Okay. So there's a chapter in that book and I'll be writing about that and how to make all things equitable within the social profit sector. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things that I'm working on, like, you know, like the course and the trainings that I have to develop independently as well. Um, and probably something around Black History Month. And yeah, there's just a gang of stuff. And of course, all the work for the clients that I'm getting through um, just them learning about my consultancy. So delivering yeah. for them is, is, of course, priority number one. Oh, how lucky are they to have you out there helping them? And I, I personally have a belief that the only thing that's going to get me and most people through this, what we're going through with the pandemic, is having a mission. Get yourself involved with something. Do something meaningful, something that you're passionate about. And it sounds like you're like up to here with that. Oh, yeah. There's even some publications coming out and different uh, career journals and I'm, I'm really just <sighs> putting myself out everywhere. And then of course, being on your show. Oh, <laughs> well, I am just so thrilled that we had a chance to talk to you. Um, just before we close up, I want to make sure everybody knows down in the notes, there's everything you're going to need to find about you now, how you can contact her, her website, her YouTube channel. She has an amazing new YouTube channel called white woke in the workplace, white and woke in the workplace. Yeah. So fun, great conversations talking with people about their discovery of th th in their own life, yeah, of where they are with that and where things turned around. So, we'll have all those links down below. Janelle, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me today. It was just so exciting. Thank I mean, you so much, September. And if anybody wants to reach me personally, it's allthingsequitable.ca or they can find me at Janelle Benjamin on LinkedIn. Awesome. And our Twitter, apparently. Thank you. Yeah, I'm JB, I'm JB underscore equitable on Twitter. Perfect. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you again. It was a pleasure. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much for being with us today. Don't forget to take a look down in the notes to find any of the links to the goodies we talked about in today's podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel so you Jeez. don't miss the next episode. Rate us or review us on iTunes or on YouTube and share us with a friend that you think might just need a bit of inspiration to start doing her own awesome shit. Do you know an incredible gal that's all that that you think the world needs to know more about? Head on over to our Facebook or our Instagram channel and DM me. Tell me about her. 
We'll see if we can't get her on the She's All That podcast. She's All That.